All right. Welcome back to Self Transformation Radio, everyone. I'm here today with Dana Diaz, who is a wife, mother, and author of a best-selling book. It's called Gasping for Air, The Stranglehold of Narcissistic Abuse. Dana has had lifelong experiences with narcissistic abuse beginning way back in her childhood. She has an education in journalism and psychology at DePaul University in Chicago, and that gave her the ability to accurately verbalize and express how this kind of abuse creates confusion and conflict within victims. And she does that so she can help other victims know that they are not alone and better understand their own circumstances. Today, Dana is a proud voice for other victims who are unable, afraid, or ashamed to share their experiences. She's working to create awareness and understanding to ensure that victims are given the support they need to first understand their situation and then begin the healing process. Dana lives with her husband in Illinois and is in the process of publishing the prequel and the sequel to her book, Gasping for Air. Welcome to Self-Transformation Radio, Dana. I'm super excited to have you. So I want to start with just give us the, we're going to go for about 30 or 40 minutes because I think people who are listening to the show are kind of expecting that at this point. But if we go longer, it's totally okay. You have a really rich story and I want to know about it. So tell us. Oh, there's a lot to it. But yeah, definitely the narcissistic abuse. It's just a big monster that I've had to deal with my whole life. Starting, like you said, in my childhood, my mother married a man who I recognized as I I just didn't like him. He was always bragging about things that he shouldn't really brag about. He was always trying to manipulate people into getting things he wanted. and, And he would brag about that. And he always had to have the best and the biggest and the greatest and just very concerned with status and what people thought. And it just didn't resonate well with me. I mean, even when I was little, little, but I didn't know what a narcissist was back then. And really not all narcissists are bad. And that's the other thing I've learned in all this is that Some people just really have a healthy self-esteem. They're really into having things or looking certain ways, and there's nothing wrong with that. But this man, just the way that he would manipulate people and brag about it as if it were a good thing, it just didn't resonate well with me. So my mother married him, and after they got married, I noticed how submissive she was around him. She seemed to lose herself. And as young as I was, I I could see that I knew who she was when he wasn't around. And I would see who she was when he was. And it's almost like she was just like a zombie or like a Stepford wife when he was around. She was always looking to him like for direction or permission to speak. And anything he said was what was. And he controlled everything and everybody in our house, but he couldn't control me. And so I was the problem. (laughs) I was a feisty little girl that stood up for myself. And I would tell him that he couldn't talk to me the way he talked to me because he was nasty. He would tell me that he shouldn't have to pay for another man's child to eat or to have clothes. And I didn't even have a bed. I slept on the floor and he didn't think he should have to pay for a bed for me to sleep on. And he would diminish me over the years in so many ways, making me feel not good enough. Just the fact that I was not his blood related child was always a source of issue 
that he took with me because that apparently made me deficient, but he made me feel like I had been to blame for that. And there's a lot there psychologically to unwrap, but certainly having to deal with that my whole life and having a mother who turned her head to it or other times as I got older, she would say, well, he just treats you like that because it's, it shows the extent to which he loves you because he wouldn't care so much if he didn't love you. So she was basically telling me that if somebody loves you, they're going to mistreat you. And so I found myself doing as my mother did and sort of submitting. I would refrain from saying things or doing things or, you know, we call it walking on eggshells, kind of tiptoeing around somebody because you don't want to provoke them because then he was getting physically aggressive with me and I was going to school and having to deal with the shame of having to explain why I had bruises on my forehead, why were there handprints on my arms and around my neck and all these embarrassing things that I didn't want to call attention to because I was so terrified that I might misspeak or accidentally say something that would imply what was going on, because I certainly was terrified to have anybody ever, you know, confront him about what was going on. I, I just knew that I would suffer for it. So I started to subdue myself like my mother did. And I think that looking back, that's when I kind of started to lose who I was, because I had been a very fiery and very spirited little girl that loved to dance and I, I played in two symphonic orchestras and I couldn't sing worth a darn, but I was in, in chorus and theater productions and I would even just dance in front of the mirror at home and my mother would join me sometimes and those were the good times, but we couldn't do those things when he was around. We, we were just supposed to sit, be quiet, not be heard and just basically be there to serve him and make him look good. And it wasn't a comfortable situation, but I left the house as soon as I could when I was 18. And then by the time I was 19, I, I can honestly say that I was desperate. There was no other word. I didn't know what a codependent was, but basically my childhood had turned me into somebody that would do anything to make sure other people liked me, that other people were pleased with me, because if people were happy with me, then they would treat me well. People that liked me would give me hugs and tell me they loved me and all these little things. They were like rewards that I had to earn. And so I certainly thought love had to be earned as, as I was taught throughout my childhood. So I fell for this young man who strangely in, uh, reminded me so much of my stepfather. I did not like this young man. I thought he was arrogant and aloof and he wasn't even awfully attractive to be honest with you, but I had no other prospects. And I was just so desperate for somebody to, to want me and and to give me any little crumb of affection or attention at all. And he was it. He eventually expressed some interest in me. And long and short of it, 25 years later, it, it, it took me being with him to realize that all along through my childhood and through this marriage that we had, that I had been in control the whole time. I had been the one. Granted, I was being abused and, and sort of forced to submit to these narcissists and, and the servitude that they wanted. But I realize now that I had been the one 
to remain in that victimhood and and remain in that situation. I had allowed them to minimize me and and diminish my talents and my dreams and and just everything that was me was not allowed, but I was the one that gave them that power. And that's the power they were looking for certainly. Wow, that's really powerful and what a it's clear that you've made a transformation since then and I'm super curious to know more about what it felt like when you started to realize what kind of thoughts were going through your head when you started to realize that you had been allowing this to happen. It was strange because especially in my former marriage the gaslighting was so effective. <laughs> And I consider myself a pretty strong personality and I'm educated and opinionated and all these things. But when being yourself comes with consequences, you learn to be submissive, even though it doesn't feel right. But I think that's the irony of all of it is that throughout all the time in my childhood and my marriage, there was always that sense, people say it's a gut feeling that something's off something's not right. You know that it just feels wrong. And I think that was my sense of self sort of trying to maintain itself, if that makes any sense. It was fighting against all that stuff, even against my own mind, trying to subdue it. Because I think that when we are in situations where we're being told, okay, if I wanted to wear this, well, I don't want you to wear that. I don't like that. My ex would say, you look like a whore with that lipstick on, or it's Christmas. I'm wearing a red lipstick. What's the big deal? But you start to rethink everything and you start to doubt yourself and question, is it me? Is it that? I'm like, you, you don't know. But I think it's that discomfort, that uneasiness with how things are going. That's your that's your real authentic self kind of screaming from your gut saying, but I'm here. This isn't right. This is going against who you are. You should never let anyone do this, but we kind of ignore it or we tell it, nope, go away because I need to have some peace today or I need some sanity and I don't want to upset this person for whatever reason. So I think realizing that that uneasiness that I always felt and that discomfort and having to do and say and all these things that were dictated to me that weren't what I would normally do or say or whatever it was. That was myself. That, that was my true authentic self saying this isn't right and that you have to fight for what's yours. It's unfortunate to me in, in my marriage, it started with little things like going to church. It started with, well, why do you have to go to church on Sunday? Just stay here with me. Let's cuddle and watch movies all day. It seems innocent. It seems insignificant. You're like, ah, what would it hurt to miss church one Sunday? And then you find you don't go to church for years. And then you start going to church. And then my ex would make me feel bad and say, oh, well, you love God more than me. Or you spend more time at church that one hour a week than you do with me. So it's little things, but it's manipulative and it does make you question who you are. But it it wasn't even the violence because he was aggressive, swung a crowbar at my head and there was a gun incident and a knife incident. And we had all these terrible things that would happen that to any normal human being would scream out 
you got to get out of this situation. This is not a good situation to be in. But unfortunately for me, it took my body getting physically ill to realize that really living in that toxicity was killing me. It was this chronic stress, as the doctor calls it, that was causing cortisol, which is a stress hormone, to run through my body at such high rates. And it was going through my body for so long that my body started attacking itself, killing off my white blood cells. So I was having autoimmune conditions. I developed a lung syndrome and that's what you're hearing, that scratchiness in my throat. That's something I'll live with the rest of my life. I just fortunately don't have to be on the backpack breathing machine every day like I used to be. But this was all caused by what doctors are calling stress. But it was living with this sense that basically I wasn't even living my own life. After I was diagnosed, I remember laying down one night and I would stay in my basement because I hadn't slept with my ex-husband for years in the same bed even. And so I was laying in the basement, getting ready to go to sleep on the couch down there. And I was just thinking about my life and like, is this it? Was I just here to be abused as a kid and be abused in a marriage and now I'm just going to die and and that's it? And it just felt so wrong. And I thought about all the things I had. I'd, I'd gone to school. I'd gotten this degree. I wanted to be a writer. I studied journalism. And I also had studied psychology because very early on in my life, I think 11 or 12 years old, I knew that I wanted to somehow find justice for other victims of abuse, particularly children, to get them out of their situations. And I wanted to travel. I wanted to experience different peoples and different foods and just see the Colosseum and the Vatican and beaches and all these wonderful things you hear about. I wanted to be there and see them with my own eyes. And I was never going to have that life if I remained in that situation. But that's like I said, when I realized I was allowed to have those wishes, I was allowed to have those dreams, and I was even allowed to fulfill them because even just asking myself that night, I thought, what do I want? Because everybody else has told me what I should do and what I should say and what I should eat and what I should wear and what it, music I should listen to. Everything was dictated to me. And so I was just like, what do I want? Because nobody ever asked me that. And giving myself that per- permission to answer and say, well, I still want to be a writer and I still want to travel. And honestly, I still want to be married. I just want to be married to somebody who actually likes me and who might want the same things I want. And I just knew it wasn't going to happen if I remained in that situation. So that's the moment where everything changed for me, because once I envisioned what I wanted by asking myself what I wanted, I couldn't unsee it. I just couldn't. It was constantly in my mind because then I'd be thinking, oh, if I could go anywhere in the world right now, where would I want to go? Would I want to go to Italy? Do I want to go to Cabo for a a little weekend? Do I want to go to Costa Rica and play with spider monkeys? I just started kind of entertaining my own thoughts, which felt selfish. And I even felt guilty for thinking that why should I be able to indulge myself when we had a son? Why couldn't my son live the life he wanted? And why was everything being controlled? But I realized that I started 
even unconsciously, once I saw what I wanted so clearly and defining those details of where do I want to go and what do I want to, what do I want to write about? I started enacting the steps towards it unconsciously. And within, I would say less than a year, I was divorced. I was very healthy, I should say, even after the divorce, after my ex moved, having his negativity, we'll call it, but without the abuse and without the toxic behaviors, I started to get healthy again. I started writing again. I now have published a book and two more have been written. We're in the process of publishing next year. And I am remarried to a longtime friend and we're actually in a, a, a beautiful relationship. I never even thought I was capable of having a healthy relationship with anybody because of everything I'd been through. So it's amazing to me that it's just shifting your perspective and shifting your mindset and giving yourself that permission that you can really completely change your life with it. Wow, that's amazing. And I love what you said about how your immune system was so affected by the stress. That's such a huge thing. And listener to this podcast will know because I mean, I've shared with them a similar story and following a lot of trauma that people don't realize that that trauma puts you in that fight or flight mode and pushes your yeah. immune system down and allows all kinds of even viruses and pathogens to grow that will eventually yes. cause those autoimmune conditions. And then we get told by society that those conditions we just have to live with. We don't get told that because they don't learn that in medical school. Doctors don't learn that in medical school, that it's caused <laughs> by all this stress and how much power uh -huh. we have to change our situation and shift the energy that we're allowing ourselves to exist in. Yes. And I loved what you were saying about the moment you knew that it was time to make a change. And I, I want to dig in a little bit more to that. What was the first thing you did to uh, shift your situation? You know what? It's, it's funny because it was such a little thing, but anybody who's been a victim of any kind of traumatic situation or abuse can understand it. It is the little things. I remember the first night my ex was out of the house. He had all these, like I said, there were unspoken rules, but he, he actually, had even made me lists of rules to follow of how to be a good wife. And so I was so <laughs> well managed that when he was gone, I didn't know what to do with myself. <laughs> so I found myself standing at the refrigerator, looking inside, thinking, well, what am I supposed to make for dinner? Because with him, dinner had to be a meat, but we couldn't have the same meat or similar meats on two consecutive nights. And there had to be two sides, but they couldn't both be carbs or starches. Or I had all these parameters to follow. And I just remember looking in the refrigerator just blankly, like I didn't know what to do. And I had read somewhere, I was trying to keep up with psychological tricks and whatever. I had learned, well, just ask yourself in a moment, any kind of a moment, just what, what's the next thing that you want? What would you like to have? What, what would be okay with you? And I, I kind of thought, well, I actually feel like butter pecan ice cream if it were up to me. And so I kind of just thought to myself, I'm having this little conversation in my head, like, well, hell, let's just have butter pecan ice cream for dinner. Why not? So that was the first thing I did. And it sounds silly, but boy, sitting on the couch, being able to turn on the TV to what I wanted to watch and 
eat ice cream for dinner was amazing. I love that. I'm so <laughs> celebrating that with you right now. I love that so much. Yeah, it's just about making that first choice that is completely independent and it shifts how you see yourself in that moment. Yes, and it is it's empowering, but this is what I love about even my own story because I've learned that it's all in the little things. And I know we talk so much in this arena of different types of therapies and the help that people get to heal and all this stuff, but we forget, I at least I run into a lot of people who don't have the financial ability or any kind of insurance to pay for therapies or going to doctors for prescriptions or anything like that. So I always say, even if you're doing that stuff, but even if you can't, you can still take care of you by doing those little things because I call them indulging yourself, but those those little whims that you have, maybe like the next thing, I, I wore that red lipstick again that he said I looked like a horror in, and it made me feel pretty and I felt good. And I painted my nails and I, just little things that everybody has little things that they can do at home. Maybe it's just putting on a particular song that makes you feel good and dancing around the kitchen while you're cooking, whatever it is, fill your soul with that little bit of joy every day, because number one, we all deserve it. But number two, boy, those little tiny things, they that's how you're, you're going to rediscover yourself. Even if you're lost like I was, I mean, it took a long time, but it just started with little things like, what do I want to eat? What's my favorite color? What do I want to wear? Like, what do I want to do with myself? But once you start doing those things and realizing and rediscovering who you are and, and reminding yourself of what feels good, it puts your mind in a better space to be receptive to healing and be receptive to the tools that you might read about or whatever therapy you're going through, you'll just be in a better place because the thing about healing anything, any kind of therapy, even if like I did writing therapy on my own because traditional talk therapy is just not something I've found effective for me or been a fan of. I think that people want to just go to sleep one night and imagine their fairy godmother sprinkling dust over them and they're just going to wake up or they come back from a therapy session and just everything's okay. Life is better. They're suddenly skipping and joyful and happy. And it's not that way at all. It's not anywhere near that way. And we have to do a lot of nasty, awful work. We go through a lot of moods and a lot of depression and a lot of, unfortunately, realizing some things about ourselves and other people when we're trying to heal. And, and it it doesn't feel good if physically or mentally. So I think if we can do it from a space where we are good with who we are, we know who we are. And we're taking care of, of who we really are, then you're going to be in a better place to go through all that yucky stuff. Uh, yeah. And it comes down to, like you said, knowing exactly who you are, because then you can be more aware and better equipped to recognize that it's part of the process and that there are a lot of emotions that come along with it. And 
it's exactly like you said, taking those little steps and doing what you can and understanding it's, it's that awareness that you neglected yourself for a long time, but we're not going to get anywhere if we beat ourselves up over it. What's the next step? Oh man, I lost myself. I don't know who I am. Well, I, and it's even beyond deserving. It's we're worthy of having choices. We're worthy of, of holding space for ourselves and having preferences and wearing the red lipstick. That's what we're here to do is experience life. And we don't want to deprive ourselves of that or put ourselves in situations where we allow that to happen to us. And when I think of the term, you know, victim and having been in not so good relationships myself, I think about the language we use sometimes and how that can influence if we stay in that victim mode where this has happened to me, then sometimes we can expend a lot of energy thinking about the past. And I think that's why therapy doesn't work for a lot of people because it keeps us in the past and it doesn't move us forward, which is why I got into coaching to begin with, because we're moving, it's about moving forward and learning from the past, but not letting it hold us down and keep us in that victim energy. That's exactly right. And I'm so glad you brought that up because verbiage that is used in this space and the verbiage that people then use on themselves about being broken and damaged. And even the word like disabled, I'm like, no, I know a lot of people that are supposedly disabled that are capable of a whole lot more than not disabled people. Like it's just the narrative, boy, this is opening a soapbox for me. So I'm sorry, it's a big can of worms, but Like the narrative around me when I was a kid, I was always hearing my mother and stepfather right in front of me all the time refer to me as difficult and, you know, oh, I was sensitive. I was emotional. I would have angry outbursts. Yes. When somebody strangles me, I'm going to get angry. I'm going to have an outburst. When somebody slaps me and pushes me around and tells me I'm stupid and incompetent and nobody's ever going to love me, I'm going to have a reaction. I think any person reasonably would. But I, it, it, this narrative they were creating to others and even that I was hearing, even though I knew it was not the truth, you can't help but internalize it. And then I'm in this 25-year relationship with my former husband who you're insufferable, nobody likes you. How could I not think those things about myself? So it's very interesting coming out of that. I was broken, I'm damaged and putting the memes on social media or whatever, or liking them. And I realized one day like, no, actually those were the broken and damaged people. I'm not the one that's broken and damaged. They are for what they did to me. But what they did to me was an action. It doesn't define who I am. The effects of it don't define who I am. I am not my depression. I am not my anxiety. I am not my CPTSD or my triggers or my self-sabotage and all these wonderful things that I've had to try to work through. But I'm Dana. I'm, I'm somebody who has, again, my own thoughts and opinions and likes and dislikes and strengths and weaknesses, just like any other person. But I am not what somebody has done to me. And once I started realizing that, boy, it's amazing how much more confident you can feel. But it also makes you a little pickier about who you surround yourself with. I wish I had a family, even just a mother and a father that were proud of me. They'd never once, I'm going to be 48 next month and I have never ever in my entire life 
heard them say they were proud of me, but there was somebody I'll know, I, I know who it is. And it was just a few years ago that told me he was proud of me. It was a father-in-law of a friend of mine and it meant the world to me. And it made me realize like not everybody sees me as broken and damaged. So why should I see myself that way? Because I'm not, I'm a human being and I'm worthy and I'm deserving. And we all are. And we just have to watch how we talk to ourselves and how the people around us see us as well. Am I saying surround yourself by yes men and people that kiss your butt? I mean, it'll feel good for a little bit, but that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is be around people that accept you for who you are and everything that comes with that because not anybody in this world is perfect and we all have whatever issues and consequences of our past and all kinds of things going on in our heads. But that doesn't mean that just because these people think you're this or that or the other thing that it's true because there's going to be always be other people who think the exact opposite. So now that I am noticing more of the people who are for me, they are supportive. They are encouraging when they speak about me. They speak highly about me. Sometimes I have still, even last week, I said to my husband, somebody said something about me in a review. And I'm like, who are they talking about? That's not me. And, and they were talking about me. And I'm like, oh, that's nice. I just, I wish I could feel that a little bit more about myself because that's not who I feel that I am. But it's nice that somebody else sees something in me that I don't because maybe then I will see it in myself one day. But if I've never heard it or, or read it to know it, I could never believe it's true. Yeah, that is super that's super powerful. And who you surround yourself matters. <laughs> and yes. it's, we, we need to find new friends when we leave situations that are not serving yes. us and around people who just want us to stay the same and want us to keep them comfortable. It's so important to surround ourselves with people who have a different perspective. I'll never forget the time I realized it just dawned on me that everybody kind of lives in their own little world of their own perceptions. Yes. And they're going to see me the way they see themselves. So with the most recent relationship, which I would not call abusive, but he was definitely in a lower consciousness and is still in a lower consciousness. So where I would be excitedly telling him about my podcast or something I was doing in my work and he would just react like, oh, that's cool. You know, and you would internalize those reactions. Yeah. Yeah. You internalize those reactions and it makes you feel like that what you're doing is not all that important if they don't find it important. And it's not that they need to get as excited about it as you are, but if they're not excited about it at all, or they tell you that it's annoying when you talk about something that makes you excited, like learning right. about the different consciousness levels and learning about uh, how perception and your thoughts change everything. And it just seems to go right over their head. It's not you it's them and they are not on the same frequency as you so what you are saying simply sounds like words <laughs> and that's true and that's the thing that I think I, I've had so many people ask me about red flags and dating and relationships and I think this applies in all areas of life I, I don't really get into lists of red flags and all this stuff but I think that we ignore how we click with people some people you're going to just meet them and click. It's like you've known each other forever. You could finish their sentences and it might be a coworker. It might be a friend. How lucky are you if it's a romantic situation? But we try to force 
especially in our romantic lives, we try to force things that aren't organic or natural. And, and that's when we end up in situations like that. Like you said, he might not have been abusive, but he was diminishing your spirit. And when you start to feel bad bringing something up because you know that person is just not going to be into it, then where do you go from there? I mean, you shouldn't have to feel bad about yourself, but you know what? I will say this even about my ex-husband and we had a, there was all kinds of abuses and there was domestic violence a few times and it was, it was something, but you know what do do I think that, well, I'm not sure if he's capable of having a healthy relationship, but do I think there's somebody out there for him? Absolutely. Because we're not all the same. It just wasn't for me, but there might be some, and he is in a relationship right now. She's living with him. Maybe they're meant to be. It just wasn't going to be me. And even if you love and care about somebody, that doesn't necessarily mean the relationship itself is good for you or or good for them, as the case may be. So I think we do need to keep that in mind. And part of being self-aware is understanding these things and being able to create in our own lives the relationships that suit us and serve us best and, and serve the lives that we're trying to live. Yeah. And trusting that we're okay on our own. I was very afraid to be by myself after my divorce. And I found myself trying to find a new partner immediately because I had been indoctrinated to believe that being married was better than being single. And coming from a Christian background, there's scriptures that can be twisted Uh, and shoved in our faces that, you know, it's better to be married than to burn with lust and all this nonsense. Jesus didn't say any of that stuff. That was Paul. And they, Paulianity is like a thing. People like make what Paul said, what Jesus said, and it's just not true. So I've grown a lot from that, but just knowing that I'm happier now than I ever was when I was married. And I am happy now, even if I never get married, I love being by myself because I know who I am now. And I feel so much more comfortable being alone. And I'm not scared of it anymore because I know that I'm a complete person and I don't need another person to complete me. And that's amazing. And I think a lot of us that come out of bad relationships are like, never again, we're going to be alone and all this stuff. And I (laughs) certainly, the last thing I ever thought I would do was get married again. But I, I knew my husband for a long time. I knew his family probably 10 years before I even knew him, to be honest with you. So we had a well-established foundation, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't bring its own set of circumstances because even just yesterday, we're having a talk about something that I find that when I'm alone, because I do spend most of my days in my office writing with my two cats and my turtle and I'm busy, but it gets lonely sometimes, especially delving into these topics where I start to remember things and you can't help but get emotional sometimes or have a physical reaction. But I said, it's strange because I'm fine when I'm on my own, but when he's home, then suddenly the dynamic changes and I get, I'm, I'm worried about, oh, well, maybe I shouldn't do so much of this. I should go spend time with him. And what does he want for dinner? Where I'm consciously aware that like, I will not, I love him, but I will not lose myself to another man. And I don't want to start revolving my 
time and my life and my energy and my thoughts around somebody else. So it's something that when you do get into a really, because believe me, like I said, I was not looking for it. He was just kind of there and waiting and, and persistent in a respectful way. So I was just like, well, what the heck? Because I believe just because you date or go to dinner with somebody or have fun does not mean you have to marry them. I just did. So (laughs) it's working out pretty well, but I still have these moments of very clear awareness of I will, I, I am sorry that he has to maybe take the brunt a little bit for the previous 40 some years of my life, but I will not, will not sacrifice myself for anybody ever again. So there is empowerment in that too. And I'm just very fortunate that he understands it and he saw my life before and and he still loves me regardless. And he understands it's just part of who I am now that there may be things that another person might compromise, but I'm not willing to because I'm afraid if I compromise that one little thing, then the next time it's going to be another one and another one. And then I'll be on the path back to where I was and, and it's not going to happen again. Love that. I love that. Well, as we kind of bring this to a close here, I'm curious what advice you might have for someone who would be possibly in a relationship that is not healthy for them, but they are super scared to make the shift and step into or back into who they really are and honoring themselves in that way. You know, the unknown is scary, and that's what prevents most people from doing something that they know they should do or that they think they want to do. We all are scared, but there's numerous cliches about that, about nothing good or nothing worthwhile, nothing legendary, whatever the case may be, comes out of a place that's easy or comfortable. You you have to step outside your comfort zone a little, but the, the beautiful thing about it is that when you're stepping back into who you really are, into your authentic self, it's it's not so scary. You actually feel a, a very strange sense of peace and contentment and like you're where you were always supposed to have been in the first place. So all I can do is be an example. And my only real piece of advice that I stick with with everything in life is just to listen to your gut. If it doesn't sit right with you, it's it, it probably isn't right. So you, you just need to take a leap of faith. I always say the worst thing that can happen is that you realize you made a mistake and you honor that and, and you go back to whatever it was. But what if, what if it's not? What if life is better? What if you live the life that you always wanted and that you were always meant to live? Because that's what happened to me. And I'm just sad that I didn't come to that conclusion sooner. Yeah, well, all in good timing. And we can look back and now be able to say everybody who's gone through this and has left that relationship, who has found their true selves and started living authentically again, nobody regrets it. So why would this person who's scared and they're not unique, right? Why would they be any different? Why would they expect things to be worse if they're living more authentically and better? But it's, yeah, that programming and we get into like mental habits 
of everything has to feel bad. So if it doesn't feel bad, something's wrong. It's like you kind of get used to that crazy fight or flight place. Yeah. 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 And there's a lot of guilt too. I, I know for a lot of people, you feel guilty making a decision that good for you because it feels selfish but there's a level of selfishness i think a very low level where it's not selfishness at all it's just being who you are it's being true to who you are and and if it doesn't sit right with somebody that's not your person romantically in a family in a sibling relationship coworker there are people that will find you just perfectly fine exactly how you are yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Where can people find you? I'm going to put your link to your book down in the show notes so people can find that where, uh, if they want to get in touch with you, maybe on social media, where can people find you? Yeah, absolutely. I always tell everyone, just go to my website, Dana S Diaz.com. It's D A N A S D I A Z.com. You will find the link to the book on there as well as uh, Facebook and Instagram. You can click on there and go directly to my pages. I do post content every day. We have funny stuff we laugh about because you have to laugh sometimes. And we have healing things and self-care things we we put on there. So just reach out anytime, message me. There's also a quiz on there. If anyone thinks they're in a narcissistic abusive relationship, I have a quiz on my website that you can take and a blog you can read uh, in case you've already read the book read the blog, listen to some podcasts for a while. I have two more books coming next year and I'll keep everyone posted on social media about that. Love it. Thank you so much for being on Self Transformation Radio, Dana. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me.